Hey, welcome to Vine Church Fort Myers podcast. We are glad that you took time to listen. We pray that the message of grace empowers you today. Before I give you the title of my message, I'll give you this historical background and the reason why we decided to go um, into that Bible study. Uh, we are not in rush. We are studying this uh, letter of Paul to these brothers in a region in Asia Minor called Galatia. Galatia was a almost like a county, okay, F- a, a place with many cities. And Paul visited that area in his first missionary trip uh, together with his friend Barnabas. Um, they came from a, a, a church that was most of it with known Jew people, with Gentiles. And they, uh, they were led by the Spirit, that's how the Bible says, to go and, and, and preach the gospel in this area, Galatia. So Galatia was super, very dear to Apostle Paul's heart because it was his first missionary endeavor and experience. And now he was noticing that the churches that he had planted in that, those, in that area were, backing, uh, were going back into a ritual and uh, in a Judaism ritual and religiosity. And he was really concerned, and that's why he writes this uh, this letter uh, with a little bit of passion, uh, sometimes even with the tone of madness because he's angry that they are turning back to religiosity and mysticism. And, but I want to really bring a background for you guys before I pray and title my message. If you want to learn more about the historical background, you're going to find this uh, story description in the book that is the following up of the Gospel of Luke. We guys know that we have four Gospels. One of the Gospels was written by this doctor, a scholar, a scribe, historian named Luke. And it seems most historians believe that the continuation of the Gospel of Luke is the book of Acts. In chapter, and, and, and the, the book of Acts is really amazing. It's the accounts of the Acts of the Apostles, more precisely of two Apostles. Uh, so the book is divided in half. The first half is more the Acts or the works or ministry of Apostle Peter. And the second half, uh, the main character is Paul. And in this second half, the beginning of this second half, it is the accounts of Apostle Paul and Barnabas in this missionary trip. In Acts chapter 13, we see him visiting many cities and preaching what he tries to bring back the Galatians in this letter. So in Acts chapter 13, verse 38 and 39, he says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, so he speaks about a man, that brings forgiveness of sins. Repeat after me, forgiveness of sins. This is our message. We are the only ones that provides a message that brings forgiveness of sins. We don't condemn, we don't accuse, we don't bring, a, don't bring awareness uh, of sin, we bring forgiveness of sin. Now, forgiveness of sins comes and is proclaimed by the work, the finished work of Jesus, this man. Uh, first, uh, verse 39, by this man, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be free 
by the law of Moses. So now he's saying that what you had endeavored to uh, change in yourself, try to work on yourself, try to really uh, 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 enhance yourself, and you were powerless about that, through this man, you can get the transformation you're looking for. You can get that blessing you're looking for. And let me go that in Galatians chapter 3, verse 11, he says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. So this is our message, forgiveness of sins and justification by grace through faith. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Holy Spirit, fill with this room. As we preach the gospel this morning, I pray, God, that it stirs faith up in order that we can finally experience what the Scripture promised us. Signs, miracles, wonders. Holy Spirit, fill this room. We ask you, God, that you come in this place and move, God, in the hearts and souls that are open to receive the gospel. In Jesus' name, everybody said. The title of this message is Grace Empowers, Stirs, Moves, Brings Faith Back. Grace Empowers Faith. What I want is to experience the same experience that Apostle Paul experienced. I want our church to get to that same experience. What I'm trying to say is, Acts chapter 14, verse 3 says, So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace. Say, word of His grace. Come on, say, word of His grace. So, Paul was preaching the same message we're preaching these days here, granting signs and wonders. Say signs and wonders. Beginning of 2021, we had that prophetic insight, that perception that 2021 will be a year of signs and wonders. Do you guys believe with me, everybody? Now, in order for us to get to that signs and wonders experience, we have to have the faith for it the faith for it comes when we receive the message the word of his grace with the word of his grace our faith is stirred and signs and wonders are followed say a good amen in the house come on somebody now let me explain this even more let me put it even more in context for you guys because paul was preaching in this city called lystra Let's go to Acts chapter 14, verse 8. One of the cities of the region of Galatia. And in that city, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked, never walked. Verse 9, he listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith, to be made well. Now what happened here? Paul was preaching the word of God's grace. And there was a crippled man that listened attentively. Listened with his heart. And Paul now noticed that the word of his grace produced faith 
in the man's heart. Verse 10, Therefore Paul said in a loud voice, Stand up on your right feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Now what did the crippled man hear that gave him faith to be healed? He heard the word of his grace. What I'm expecting is that signs and wonders, miracles, unquestionable miracles, tangible miracles start to pop up in the middle of your life group meeting. You'll be preaching, you'll be sharing the word, and those people that are broken, depressed, um, oppressed by evil spirits will experience immediately and powerful deliverance simply because they are listening to the word of his grace and it is followed by faith are you guys with me anybody now maybe you don't have the same expectation that i have but i'm waiting for these moments to happen in our services a broken heart a destroyed marriage why not Someone that needs a physical healing coming through our doors and experience such amazing sign and wonder. Anybody else with me? Somebody? Anybody? I believe that. I believe that this can happen as much as we keep preaching the same message. Now, besides that, I'm expecting the same problem that Paul faced. Because the story is very interesting because of such miracle and such signs and wonders following the preaching of grace, the Bible says that after that meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Say grace of God. There is no other message. That is our message. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city. Say amen in these guys. Come on. Now, I, I know you are very excited for your life group right now. I'm super excited for our church. You know, God is moving our church. But I'm expecting the whole city. I don't know about you, but I'm expecting the whole city together in order to hear the word of His grace. That's what the Bible says, verse 45. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. So yes, the message of grace stirs faith. Faith enables, brings, introduces you to the signs and wonders. Favor of God, open doors, the miraculous follows up the message. Say a good amen in the house. Plus persecution. Plus misunderstandings. Plus people slandering about you. And say, this is such a cheap message. You know what? I don't care. I just want to enjoy the favor of God with boldness. I don't want to be awkward. I don't want to be shy. I don't want to be embarrassed of the favor of God. Crowding my family. Surrounding my things. I am proud, actually, that because I have nothing myself, it's only because His grace on me. I have no merit. I did not earn it. I did not deserve it. But His favor came upon me and is coming upon you. So don't be afraid of being a blessed person. Say amen in the house. 
just, just don't be ashamed or, or feel awkward or, or shy of the blessings of God in your life. Faith, grace empowers faith. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23 to verse 29. We're going to close chapter 3 today, hopefully. Let's go. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law in prison until the coming faith will be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you, as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. So the, the, the parallel passage here is the verse 20 in the previous chapter that Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So I was put on Christ. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So this is the reasoning of Paul. He's working with almost 2,000 years of Jewish history, from Abraham to Moses to Christ. And it's important to see this progression because one of the facts that we have so many problems in the church is because people does not pass through the Moses season in their lives. But we cannot forget that from the very beginning, God always intended to justify the sinner, not by works of the law, but always by faith. If you guys remember Galatians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul writes, Abraham believed God and that faith, it was counted to him as righteousness. So from the very beginning, God always planned to fulfill the Abraham's covenant and bless all the families of the earth. So yes, we have to come from Abraham and pass through the law. I say that because one of the functions of the law is to bring such awareness of our condition and give us an amazement, a, a full enjoyment of the grace of God. There is no complete acknowledgement of how amazing is the grace without first having the knowledge of the law. And that's why a lot of supposedly Christians have a permissive, shallow Christian life because they supposedly encounter Christ, profess Jesus, but they never came to first realize that they were sinners. So that's why there are so many Christians, but so few disciples. I believe that the problem is the way we are evangelizing in our days. And unfortunately, this became even a standard in most of the churches. We preach, come to Jesus. He'll give you peace, joy, love, personal fulfillment and happiness. And we kind of uh, preach a false advertisement. 
Ray Comfort, this Christian author, writes a very interesting illustration. It's the parachute illustration. In a flight doomed to destruction, the flight, the flight attendant comes to the first uh, passenger and says, Look, I have an item here, a plus, for your flight experience. It is a parachute. If you dress it, your flight experience will be much more enjoyable. You're going to have an awesome flight experience. Try it out. See, your life will get, will get better. You will be uh, blessed, prosperous. You feel better in this flight experience. The guy gives a try. He dressed the parachute, barely can sit straight. It's very heavy. It's uncomfortable, but he's still believing the advertisement. However, someone behind him starts to laugh. Other person around him starts to joke about that crazy, stupid guy dressing a parachute in a flying um, airplane. Why? Why should he dress that? He starts to feel completely embarrassed, shy about that situation, and he cannot endure such a shame. He throws the parachute in the floor. And he now actually became bitter, disillusioned with disillusionment with that flight attendant. The second person also received the parachute. But before receiving the parachute, the flight attendant said, Look, our flight will fall. We are 25,000 feet above the floor and we are all destined to die in this airplane. Look, I gave, I have one parachute here available for you would you take it now you know the the, the end of the story the second person you're going to hold on tightly to that parachute no matter how uncomfortable that parachute might bring his flight experience people are going to laugh around him but it doesn't matter because he understood that ultimately that parachute is his savior it's interesting because Jesus never lied about following him. John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, I say these things, I said these things to you, that in me and only in me you may have peace. Know this, in this world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Temptation, tribulation, persecution will come together with the favor of God, with the message of grace. But unfortunately, sometimes we don't let people pass through the Moses experience, the law experience. And because of that, they go from church to church looking for the best Christian cosmos service. And they never get their roots deeper because, you know what, I, maybe this is not the place for me. They're thinking that it's all about them instead it's all about for God. Amen. We should preach and warn all the passengers. Hebrews 9, 27. As just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. The sinner must understand the horrible consequences of breaking God's law. If the knowledge of the law comes to him, he will cry out and run to the Savior. So yes, the law should lead people into faith. 
So the law should point to faith. The impious, ungodly, the unbeliever have to listen a lot about the law. But the saved, the righteous, those that were made sons and daughters, they should listen a lot about the grace. I say that because many, after being saved, after receiving grace and mercy, still in Moses, living in a miserable bondage of condemnation, while God now is inviting you to move on to grace. Christian life is not supposed to be a heavy yoke to bear. The law is a necessary experience. However, we should not remain in the law. Stay there in the condemnation and curses of the law is foolishness. So Paul goes deeper here in chapter 3. He says in verse 23, now therefore, now before faith came, you are held captive under the law, in prison until the coming faith would be revealed. So the first illustration, it says that the law imprisoned every man under the same state. We are all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. We cannot improve or fix ourselves we cannot balance the scale or balance our karma in order to uh, achieve some sort of illumination and finally get my evolving spirit to a, a powerful or worthy to heaven state. No. The second illustration that Paul brings is a tutor, verse 24. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. In order that we might be justified by faith. So the word here for guardian is paedagogos or pedagogo. Which was a slave with the one single job to teach the master's children to not hurt themselves. I was raised by a nanny. And... Her job was simply to protect me against myself. Because I truly believe I was Superman. And I could fly. And her job was to put in my mind that I did not have flying power. If I would try to do that, I will kill myself. Now, obvious, obvious, my nanny not only protected me against myself, but against other wild little animals, humans. So usually, nannies protect the child until they have autonomy enough or matured enough to realize their sonship. That's the illustration that Paul uses here. In the center sense, the law was, gave to, was given so the sinner could be protected against himself and also protected against other sinners. That's why we survive until here Praise God for His perfect law. Because ultimately the law projected God's character. How holy, pure, set apart. He is not possible to be categorized in any created thing. He is holy above everything else. And we fell short of such glory. We need His grace and mercy in order to place us back in His eternal purpose. But we can't on ourselves. The second illustration I gave you weeks ago... It is an actual tutor. 
So when I was graduating in my physics studies, and I was a teacher in high school, I was already a teacher. I was a teacher for a couple of years already, but now I was getting my bachelor's on teaching physics. And now I had that tutor coming to my class, and she was not there just to see and to learn physics with me. Her only job as a tutor was to take notes of my mistakes. Her job was to point out how terrible teacher I was. Her job was to point how my errors could be fixed if I really work hard for it. The law is like this tutor. When you are a trainee, the only thing you do good is mistakes. And the law is there to remind you very well about that. Oh, I need a savior. Ultimately, I can't do by myself. I need his grace upon me. Are you guys with me? Anybody home? Galatians chapter 3 verse 26 now Paul goes deeper. He says, for in Christ, you are all sons of God. Now pay attention because this expression, in Christ, is where we're going to press on. Through faith, for as many, verse 27, of you as were baptized into Christ. Repeat after me, into Christ. Into Christ have put on Christ. Let me say something that maybe is a new uh, uh, theological information for you. There is only one son of God. Yes, my friend, you are not son of God. You are never fit for such quality. There is only one perfect begotten of the Father, and his name is Jesus. However, if you are in Jesus, if you are put on in Jesus, if you are clothed by Jesus, if you are in Christ, we are all sons of God through faith. And definitely I cannot resist myself to say that this is gender precise. This is not sons and daughters. So ladies in the house, you are a son of God. You are not a daughter, you are a son. Why, pastor? What kind of, you know, sexism is that? No, it's not me. It's the Bible, and I'm going to explain why. Because at the time of the apostle, the only able to be an heir of the inheritance of the family will be the sons, the boys. And God wants to make you, my daughter, you, my sister, you, lady in the house, also participant of the inheritance. And the only way to be an heir is to be a son. Now, let me balance the scale here because I know the guys feel very proud right now that they are boys, right? But don't forget that all the men in the house, if you really want to be in heaven, married with the lamb, you have to be the bride of the lamb. So all the men in the house, we are also all the bride of Christ. Amen? So that's how the beauty of the gospel balance things here. Now, we are in Christ, all sons of God. We have been baptized into Christ. Now, let me press this because this comes my announcement. For us, baptism is not a Christian ritual. It's not a doctrine or something empty of meaning. The baptism is an experience that introduces you to the newness of life. Some people are going to say, Pastor, that's the problem. I don't get baptized yet because I still have to fix this problem in my marriage. Pastor, look, you don't know me. I'm still stumbling in that habitual sin in my life. I, I want to fix that before I get baptized. No, my brother. 
You're missing the point here. The only way to get into that victory and into the newness of life is getting baptized. Why I say that, Romans chapter 6, verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, say into Christ, into Christ were baptized into his death. So it is a platonic teaching here. Paul is creating a question because it's implied the answer. The only way you can end up, abolish, terminate your old past, your old self, is first getting baptized into Christ and experience the power of the newness of life. Come on, somebody. There's more. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Jesus sending the disciples says, to the disciples, make disciples of all nations. Doing how? Baptizing them in the name. Say, in the name. Amen. Say, in the name. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes, my friend, you get a new name. You are baptized into a new name. The, the very divinity, the, the, the Godhead, the triune God, now change your very identity. And if it's so good to be true, there's more. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Say, into one body. So I have to say and be honest with you, you are not church yet if you are not baptized yet. You cannot enjoy all the benefits of the family unless you are baptized into the body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Baptism is an experience that introduces you to the newness of life. It's not a doctrine. It's not a ritual. It actually gives you the permission to experience the fullness of Christ. Galatians 3:27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. The word here is into. It means literally you are immersed in Christ. You are swallowed, dived, drowned into Christ. Now this is very powerful because this is what introduces us to, again, all the blessings that it is meant for the Son of God. I know it might be awkward for some of you guys, but the idea here is almost like a pregnant woman. Everything that happens to the pregnant woman consequentially will come up to the baby. The nutrients, the life that flows through the pregnant woman flows through the baby in her womb. We are in Christ Jesus. Divinity is pregnant of us. We enjoy the very life that flows in the Godhead. The power of resurrection flows in your vein. Come on, somebody in the house. So, if Jesus is the only Son of God, there is no other way to be a son unless you are in Christ. So, our salvation consists of faith to be in Christ. That's where we should apply our faith over and over again. God is not trying to improve you, enhance you, change you. What God wants to do is just to place you in Christ. And in there, you will have the very life of God changing you. Now, Paul closes 
this chapter in a beautiful way. Verse 28, he says, because of that, because we are sons in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. What is the secret of a good marriage? It is the revelation when you acknowledge that we are in Christ. A Christian couple is more blessed because they understood that the same grace that I needed to be saved and, and have my life transformed is the same grace that I have available to forgive my spouse after this hundredth time of mistake. And we can walk together despite of our mistakes. A Christian family is more blessed because we understood that the grace we need to be saved is the grace that unites us as one in the family. And now I can respect my children even though they are younger, immature, more immature than I am. I respect them. I consider that the same faith that saved, restored me is the same faith that needs, is the same grace that is available for them. But also this grace also leads me to honor my parents and see them as deserving of, great, of, the, of the grace of God as much as I am. We are equals in our need of redemption. Equal in our inability, in our incapacity to deserve anything from God. Equal in the fact that God gives us His salvation entirely by grace in Christ. One thing that is interesting that unites people is this uh, experience of going through a tragic experience all together. I remember years ago I was doing a missionary trip and uh, we're going from center, uh, center of Brazil to the very west of Brazil to the borders of Paraguay. And in that trip, we had a horrible accident that the car that I was driving flipped twice in the middle of the highway. And this group was about 30 people. We passed through this very traumatic experience all together. What is interesting is that until today, we're very close friends. We still exchange messages and we all follow each other in social media. There is this bond this connection that happens when people passes through battlefield war together, that they have to fight shoulder to shoulder, defend one another. I feel that in a certain sense, the church is that union of many hopelessly lost people. People that were totally destined to destruction, but they were all equally saved. They were all reached by the same grace. And that's why we can call each other brothers and sisters. As we still have order in the house. Dad and mom is still in high authority and a greater rank of authority than the children. But this doesn't mean that our differences between man and woman now should be a barrier. Or between parents and children, between pastors and members, should be a barrier for us to enjoy the same grace. The scholars says that at the time of Jesus, one of the most prodigious prayers that the Pharisees used to do is, God, 
I thank you that I'm a Pharisee. I thank you that I am not born as a Gentile. I thank you, God, because I was not born as a slave. And I thank you, God, because I was not born as a woman. That was a Pharisee prayer. So it's not by chance that a former Pharisee apostle, Paul, writes like that. He says that in Christ Jesus, there is neither Jew or Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. There is no nationality, racial barriers in Christ. There is no social status. There is no rank of how much your bank account is or have. Nothing. Nothing makes us divided. The great social division in those days were between slaves and free men. Roman society was built under slavery. The rich did not walk with the poor. The high and low was totally separated from the powerful ones. But in Christ, there is no hierarchies. Yes, we still have order, definitely, but not based on these criteria. It doesn't matter about your neighborhood, your bank account. It doesn't matter if you are blue-collar, white-collar. It matters if you receive the grace of God. But the most revolutionary statement, if you consider 2,000 years ago when that was stated, is that there is no male or female. The Bible cherish the, the beauty of male and female differences. God created man and woman, male and female, in different states. But even those differences that is supposed for a purpose cannot be a barrier that set us apart in Christ. All differences are irrelevant. They still exist, but not to set us apart, but to unite us all in Christ Jesus. Let me invite you to stand up this morning as I close this message. Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. Paul closes this chapter saying, If we believe, if we receive the grace and have our faith stirred, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I want to close chapter 3 of Galatians. Reminding us that the promise of Abraham, yes, was for him to be blessed. God planned that Abraham, as you, will be blessed. But above all, God had a purpose, a plan to turn you a blessing, to make you a blessing. And the only way we're going to become this blessing to all nations as if we believe in this grace. This grace that saves, this grace that restores, this grace that calls you sons of God. Where you are, close your eyes.